Happy birthday. Who cares? Welcome to our podcast. It's Happy Birthday. Who cares? Hello, friends. It's the podcast, the premiere podcast about the date, <laughs> October 1st. <laughs> um, possibly the only podcast. Except about no date. substitutes. If you are looking for a podcast about birthdays that occurred on October 1st, uh, Valerie and Randall and wrestling or music. This is your podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. How are things going with you, Valerie? Are you busy over there? Things are going pretty good. Uh, work is um, very busy this week, and yeah. it's kind of taking my attention, but in a good way. Yeah. Valerie, as you know, or maybe have have heard if you've listened to previous podcasts or know us, Valerie works as a realtor. Um, I, I had an interesting experience this week, though. Oh, yeah. Well, Oh, this is a good story. Let's hear it. it. What happened to you? If you follow me on Facebook, you already know this, but um, uh, I went into my first, it's kind of like a rite of passage, but I went into my very first house that had squatters in it this week. Hmm. Uh, and it was just wandering into an empty house with a couple of clients and mm-hmm. wandering around looking at rooms. And then we get to the last bedroom in the back and the woman I'm with says, there's somebody in here. And I look up because I was, I don't know, looking at the carpet or something. And there are two people three feet in front of me crouching, one behind the door and one in the closet. And they're crouching and they are hiding their faces as if, <laughs> as if, if they couldn't see me, I won't see them. Well, they were probably super, super embarrassed. They were probably super embarrassed. I think they were also super high. <laughs> They were so high that they thought if you they couldn't see you, that I think you couldn't see them. They perhaps? just they just didn't know what else to do. Um, um, did they look like they were had been living there for a while? Was no, there stuff? I mean they had a little bit of stuff, but I, I think they had just like crashed there for the night. Oh. Um, so then what happened? So I said, "Oh crap!" And then I said, uh, "Sorry, we didn't mean to startle you. Uh, we'll go now." And then we quickly walked very fast out you, of the house. You apologized to this. <laughs> You apologize to the people that had broken into that house. You know, I didn't know what their deal was, and I didn't want to provoke them. And people need a place to go. Is there any chance you thought maybe perhaps these were people who were also looking at the house? No. No. <laughs> no, I did not. And uh, I assume that I didn't hear this part, but I assume afterwards you called the agent that was representing the sellers of that house. I did. And um, she called the people who own the house and... Everybody yeah. had a little freak out. Uh, but as I was just sitting there in the car, I saw the two people leave and, you know, uh, they, they were very sheepish and didn't make eye contact. And can imagine. Mostly I just felt bad. Anyway, scared the crap out of me. I'm glad that you're safe. I was a little worried when I heard that story. Thanks. Anyway, if you're looking for a home in Portland that may or may not be occupied, they could have been just um, high on life. <laughs> Uh, what's going on with you, Randall? Uh, you know, I had a migraine for a few days. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's pretty good. It was so bad, I actually went to the doctor today to get a shot, which helped really well. But what was the shot? I don't know. I've yet to know. The guy, uh, the doctor said, it's like a super ibuprofen shot that goes in your butt. That's literally what he said. <laughs> Those are the words he said. <laughs> that's Dr. Tom. But yeah, it worked pretty well. After about... I would say about a half hour I was basically good. Like but the migraine's completely gone. I think it was probably just B vitamin. 
Oh, it might have it might have literally been a, a big dose of ibuprofen after. I wish all. he had told you. I'm kinda curious. It'll be on my record. Follow it follow up with a future podcast and I'll <laughs> tell you guys what what drug I was given today. I gotta get I gotta get in touch with him tomorrow, so I'll ask. About what? I'll ask what it was. Uh, oh, he wanted me to follow up with how the how it went. If it went well or whatnot. And it definitely went well, and I'm looking forward to a good night's sleep tonight for the first time in probably a week. He's the one to call Dr. Feelgood. Man, drugs are the best. I don't know I don't know what your personal opinion is of drugs audience, gentle audience, but we love drugs. Drugs are great. Pharmaceuticals are truly a boon to mankind. Yeah, really. I have I have nothing but good things to say about it. Except when people are on drugs and squatting in houses in terrifying Valerie. I'm not thrilled with that. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah, so that's the major, major events going on. We that, have a couple that's your of, major malfunction? Yeah. We have a couple of uh, important pieces of feedback this week. So the first one is for um, our friend and also listener of the pod, Damon. Damon's got a Kickstarter. He's kickstarting a game that's called... Arkham Relic Hunt. Uh, I had the opportunity to play the game and I had fun. To- I had a fun time doing it. If you are interested in a fun card game where you can screw over your friends, that's the part of the game I remember the most is you screwed over your friends. You know, go go to Kickstarter and search for it. Once again, the name is Arkham Relic Hunt and uh, throw them a buck. Throw them a buck or two. Yeah, sounds like they're doing pretty good so far. Yeah, looks pretty good. I hope he, I hope he gets it made. Yeah, me too. Uh, The other thing that we got this week was from another listener of the podcast and also a friend. Do any friends, non-friends listen to this podcast? I don't know. You know, I feel like they're all friends. You know, if you weren't a friend before you started listening to the podcast. You sure are now. You are definitely a friend. And that's from friend Jason. And friend Jason wanted to tell a personal story about the California Raisins. Do you remember we talked about the California Raisins? I do, when we were talking about fictional bands. That's right. That was episode 10, uh, Sugar Sugar by the Archies is the number one song. And I'm going to read his story from uh, his email he wrote. The California Raisins. That Christmas special they did in 1987 really made an impact in my household. Christmas was a big deal in my house anyways, but they managed to achieve a special place of honor. We had one of those houses with all the lights, garlands, and wreaths and other typical stuff, but the standout was the ever-growing collection of life-size Disney character cutouts that my dad made. That's I, awesome. Knowing Jason, I had no I Yeah, had no clue I would never would be. I would never well, guess like, this. I think they're big Disney people. Well, okay, so Jason Hi Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's just like a cool guy. And I think yep. I originally met him at a goth club. Yeah. So goth I don't know. Disney I don't club. really think about Christmas and Jason. And Disney. Uh, anyway, it continues. I think it started sometime around or just before I was born. It became a tradition every year to pick a character. Then my dad would draw it on a big piece of plyboard, cut it out, paint it, and we put it up in the yard. The California Raisins managed to make the cut. Oh, that's a good pun. The only non-Disney characters that were ever included. They also had the special distinction of being the only characters to ever be the victims of vandalism. (laughs) A couple of them were stolen one night. I remember recovering at least one of them down the street. Any we didn't recover were remade, though. Have no fear. I'm pretty sure all those characters, Raisins included... 
are hanging out in my dad's garage waiting for their big comeback. Uh, he did not include a picture of the <laughs> of those, but if you, Jason, do find a picture and especially the raisins, or maybe if you just could steal one of the raisins and send it along. That's rad. I feel like that's one of those things. They're going to have a garage sale in 20 years and somebody is going to be so psyched to find those. <laughs> Uh, thank you for sharing that story. Um, if you have a, sh- a story of your childhood, I feel like it's got to be childhood stories at this point. Those are the best. No, it can be anything. No. Okay. If you have a, if you have anything to uh, share with us, just reach out on Twitter, I think is probably the best. Uh, and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? We are talking about, on October 1st of 1971, the first practical CT scanner is used to diagnose a patient. So this is kind of a funny thing because I just realized I didn't look up what CT stands for in (laughs) CT scanner. Okay, pause. Do you know what it does? Uh, No, and I also don't know why when I was a kid it was called a CAT scan and then at some point they changed it to CT scan. So a CT scan actually stands for a computerized tomography scan which is really just a series of x-rays, but we're going to get into that. Is there anything there about CAT scan? To answer your question, um, a CAT scan and a CT scan are the same thing. Acronym to an initialism. Is that right? Just the way people pronounce it. Yes, but they were actually not originally known as either a CAT scan or a CT scanner at all. They were originally known as an EMI scanner. The first commercially viable CT scanner was invented by Sir Godfrey Hounsfield in Wow. Yeah. In Hayes, United Kingdom, at the EMI Central Research Laboratories using X-rays. Uh, Hounsfield conceived his idea in 1967, which took 160 parallel readings through 180 angles, each one degree apart and uh, taking about five minutes each. And then these images from the scans were reconstructed via algebraic reconstruction techniques um, in a big computer for about two and a half hours. So so it took uh, like 180 scans around. You know, that's why they're circular. Did you say what kind of scan it is? X-rays. Oh, it's an actual X-ray. Okay. Um, 160 scans. And then uh, reconstructing them uh, into the 3D image that of the brain or whatever else they're scanning, I guess, in that case. The first EMI scanner, as they were known, um, was installed in Atkinson Morley Hospital in Wimbledon, England. And the first patient brain scan was done on October 1st in 1971. That was the year before my birth. And in 1979, Hounsfeld won the Nobel Prize for that accomplishment. I read that they they purposefully did not call it the EMI scanner because they were afraid of getting into a Xerox situation where they lose the copyright to the term so EMI. when you say an EMI scanner, is this associated with the media company? Yeah, it's actually, I mean, we're going to get into it, but yeah, it's that It's the record same, company. Yeah, it's the same record company wow. and everything. It stands for Electric and Musical Industries Limited. Wow, they're yeah. really diverse, diversified. Yeah. It's kind of like Yamaha and motorcycles and pianos. and it's Yeah, it's like a, a technology company that uh, discovered they could make 
a shit ton of money off of music recordings. First, they'll sell you the record player, then they'll sell you the record. Mm -hmm. The last thing I mentioned there was in 1979, he won the Nobel Prize for Mm -hmm. that. So I'm going to call back to episode seven of the podcast, where we talked about the number one song, which was Dancing Queen by ABBA, where we learned that uh, King Carl of Sweden uh, gives away those Nobel Prizes. He actually gives away the uh, non-peace prize. But wait, did he then too? Because wasn't his coronation in like 1978 yeah, or something? Yeah, it's after. Well, this is 79. I don't know when the... when the. Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know when the Nobel Prizes started, but he may very well have given that one away. How do you do, King Carl? Nice connection. Yeah, if you didn't listen to that episode, it was one of my favorites. Okay, Randall, if you could win the Nobel Prize, what would you want it to be for? What, what do I think? Well, let me ask you this question first. Is it, does it have to be constrained to existing real Nobel Prizes? No, I think if you can come up with any kind of concept that is okay. Nobel worthy. Uh, does it have to be for something I actually know? Or does it have to be, could it be something that I would learn then? Listen, Randall, you're an idea, man. Just spit it out. Okay. I'm going to receive the Nobel Prize in cooking for innovations in ramen technology. I'm not sure that's Nobel worthy, but maybe James Beard. <laughs> the Nobel Prize in peace for the Nobel sharing, Prize in ramen <laughs> for sharing the ramen recipe. I've been thinking about ramen every day since I went to the grocery store. Eat it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we talked about EMI, right? What do you know about EMI? People would claim that the revenue from the be- sales of Beatles albums through the 60s are what funded the development of the CT scanner. That's awesome. But that's not true uh, well, in actuality. Are you sure, though? Yeah, the, the documents I read about it were like, uh, no, this was already in process, and it was something that was going to happen regardless. It makes a good story, but it doesn't work. Well, I'm sure if the Beatles did not fund that, they funded an awful lot of other stuff. Yeah. As we mentioned, EMI actually stands for Electric and Musical Industries Limited. And it was formed in March of 1931 by the merger of the Columbia Gramophone Company hmm. and the Gramophone Company with its his master's voice record label. Oh, isn't that RCA or at yeah. least RCA in America? What it originally started out as. Yeah. I see. Um, basically, uh, recording industry companies that were from the dawn of recording industries, right? Uh, EMI, the company itself, and I'm going to say did previously because EMI itself doesn't technically exist anymore. It kind of was purchased by different companies and broken up, but I'm not going to get into it. EMI administered at one point the publishing rights of over 1.3 million songs, Hmm. headlined by, by bands like Queen... Uh, Carol King, The Police, uh, the entire Motown catalog. Oh, that's interesting yeah. because, the, like, The Police and Carol King weren't actually on EMI. I don't think. No, they were. They were on subsidiaries that were owned I see. by EMI. Okay. Owned a ton of record okay. labels. Um, other other modern acts like Kanye West, uh, Alicia Keys, Pharrell Williams. They're all EMI artists at one point. Technically EMI artists. I always knew EMI from when I was growing up because Duran Duran was on EMI. Right. Kate Bush was on EMI. 
And then, of course, the Sex Pistols song. The Sex Pistols were, of course, on EMI very briefly. Where did they leave? They left and went to Virgin? Yeah. Virgin Records? Um, EM, at one point, EMI bought Virgin Records. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if something yeah. like that is a calculated yeah. fuck you or... I feel... No, I feel like they they just acquired everyone they could. They just yeah. ate, ate them up. We watched a good documentary on it. I, the name of that one, by the way, uh, is EMI, The Inside Story. It's a BBC documentary. I definitely kind of felt like it was the sort of the... EMI rah rah propaganda arm at least at the end there, but it it did have some interesting insights. Yeah. It and it wasn't that old, so it, it was pretty pretty still pretty modern. Yeah, they covered all like uh, the nineties and two thousands. Yeah, it was really like the story of how the Beatles made EMI rich, and then how everybody they, else took advantage <laughs> <yeah>. of that. <laughs> they built Abbey Road, and then uh, or they built out Abbey Road, and then they they acquired the rights for Pink Floyd and then they let Pink Floyd take over Abbey Road. That that was really interesting. I had never heard of that. So apparently after uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd had so much sway with the record company <laughs> that they basically just moved into Abbey Road and they decided as their next album to make a concept album called Household Objects that was literally household objects making the music. So they would like string a rubber band across things to make a bass sound and yeah and they worked on it for more than six months and then just was like this is stupid <laughs> abandon is, it is there any is that album actually get out i don't think it did in any real form but maybe there's little bits of it leaked actually let's let's look let's take a look here I've heard enough of this. Does it ever get more interesting? <laughs> can get less interesting. <laughs> um, what'd you think of that? I mean, that's very nice and all, but <laughs> I like experimental music and yeah. I like noise music, but Pink Floyd's sort of, uh, they're better when they're just straight up songwriting. I like the psychedelic early Pink Floyd, but uh, that was just boring to me. Sure. Sorry. I do like the idea, the creative ideas, but it was just too much. One thing that I um, thought was interesting about the documentary was they said that it costs uh, five cents to make a record that they were selling for, what was the amount? It was like 10 times. Oh, well, wasn't it like half a cent worth of vinyl? Half a cent. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, It was half a cent of vinyl for five, five bucks worth of record sale. Something yeah. like that. Just basically printing money. Not bad. But you gotta have hits. And they were actually really good at picking yeah. picking bands. Yeah. I would thoroughly recommend this documentary. I think it was worth a watch and it's only an hour. You could find it on the internet. Anything else you want to talk about those bands? Mm, not really. 
Only organically. Not really. Was that was that it? Yeah, that's all we got on the line. Oh, is it me? No, we can move on to how do you say this one now? All right, what's what's next, Randall? So the CT scan, uh, the process replaced the more invasive, and you're gonna have to bear with me. We're gonna take a few few shots of this one. Let's try it. Uh, no, new, no, pneumo, pneumo encephalography. So like, oh, I almost got it. Pneumo encephalography. You did it. Pneumo encephalography which uh, was sometimes abbreviated as PEG or referred to as an air study. Uh, This is what I mentioned. This is what the CT scan replaced. Uh, It was a common medical procedure, common, in which most of the cerebral spinal fluid. Cerebral? Cerebral? Cerebral spinal fluid. Here, why don't you start that bit again? It was a common medical... It was a common medical procedure in which most of the cerebral spinal fluid was drained from around the brain. Ugh. Yeah. By means of a lumbar puncture, i.e. a stab. Oh. <laughs> and replaced with air, oxygen, or helium huh. to allow the structure of the brain to show up more clearly on an x-ray image. It was extremely painful. I cannot even imagine. (laughs) It was extremely painful and generally not tolerated well by conscious patients. I guess you had to be awake for for them to do it. It was uh, associated with a wide range of side effects, including headaches and vomiting, often lasting well past the procedure. Um, in the movie The Exorcist, when they're trying to figure out what's going on with Reagan, mm-hmm. that's they actually give her that uh, looking for a brain lesion. Uh, that's so horrible. Yeah, I know, it's horrible. You know what the worst part is? You hear about how disgusting, how terrible the side effects and everything. Um, I saw then pictures that they got from the the, the process, and they're terrible and, and they're useless. awful. <laughs> they're awful and useless. Oh, God. It'd be like going through this nightmare procedure and then you get you get like a blurry image of your brain at the end. And they're like, well, remember maybe. at this point in time, they were still doing lobotomies too. Yeah. Um, do you have a story about the exorcist and this procedure? Kind of. This reminded me of something that I had heard about. Yeah. This is really tangential, but I want to, I want to tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a gross and gruesome story. It's about gross things and murdery things. So if that's not your bag, you should fast forward. Okay. Um, well noted. Anyway. This is not a murder podcast. We don't accept that a lot of the subjects we cover do involve murder. One of the other tests that Reagan is subjected to in The Exorcist yeah. is a, it's called a carotid angiography procedure. Uh-huh. Um, it is an invasive imaging procedure that involves inserting a catheter into a blood vessel in the body, like in the actual body, not the brain, uh-huh. and guiding it to the carotid arteries with the aid of a special x-ray machine. So it's like you're getting a, a long Camera. a long x-ray machine inserted into your body. Sure. When William Friedkin was directing The Exorcist, he used an actual neuropsychiatric surgeon and his team for the shoot. Huh. Uh, the surgeon's assistant... In that shoot, and you can see him in the movie, Bearded Man, 
So they used a real assistant? Yeah, they used just real people doing the their real jobs. Uh The surgeon's assistant was a man named Paul Bateson. Uh, He was an x-ray technician at the New York University Medical Center where it was filmed. Regan, can you sit up? Scoot over here. A little more. Good. That's just for a short time. Six years later, in 1979, Bateson was arrested for the murder of film critic Addison Verrill. According to Bateson, he had picked up Verrill at a gay bar in Greenwich Village and gone back to Verrill's apartment with him where the two had had sex, and then Bateson then crushed Verrill's skull with a skillet. Oh, God. And then stabbed him numerous times. Well... Oh, what's the point of that? Uh, I don't know how he got arrested, but while he was awaiting trial at Rikers, Bateson started talking about other murders he had committed. You know, just like in casual conversation. (laughs) Wait, uh, like to get out of prison? No, just like probably like bragging to other inmates. Oh my God, okay. He said that he had been picking up gay men and murdering them just for fun. Oh, okay. He had chopped up their bodies, put the pieces in plastic trash bags, and dumped them in the Hudson River. Wow. As it turns out, in 1977 and 1978, New York had experienced a series of gruesome murders in which the bodies of gay men were found in the Hudson River. Huh. They were mutilated and bagged, just as Bateson had described. Yikes. The condition of the bodies, having been waterlogged, made identification really difficult, Uh, But certain clothing items and tattoos allowed the police to link the bodies to the LGBT community in New York. Wow. So they figured it out. At least six bodies were ultimately recovered. No killer was identified at the time until Paul Bateson was arrested for the murder of Addison Verrill. Uh, When William Friedkin learned that a suspected serial killer had appeared in The Exorcist, he visited Bateson in prison. And following that interview, Friedkin signed on to direct the 1980 film Cruising, (laughs) in which Al Pacino plays a cop who goes undercover to track down a killer targeting gay men. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Bateson is actually even said to have served as an uncredited consultant on the film. That's insane. Yeah, it's it's pretty messed up. (laughs) Wow. Ultimately, there wasn't enough physical evidence to link Bateson to the serial murders because the bodies were so decomposed they had no proof except that he knew that there just happened to be bodies yeah except that he said a few things he admitted to it uh so he was only charged with the murder of addison verrill and he was sentenced to 20 years to life in jail but he was actually released in 2004 oh sweet he reportedly now lives in upstate new york what 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 does he do happily ever after is he still an x-ray tech oh my god is he still a murderer oh my gosh how scary Anyway, when you brought up The Exorcist and the medical scene in The Exorcist, that was the first thing I thought of. Um, I'll bet you that he's in the scene where that procedure happens to her as well. He might be. I know the scene I'm thinking of that he's in. We'll post a picture of him later. But uh, there's like a bunch of, there's there a number of medical scenes in The Exorcist. There's a few. Mm, A lot of people said, a lot of people said that the medical scenes were scarier than the possession scenes. I don't think I ever watched The Exorcist as uh, an adult. I only watched it as a kid, which oh, makes a lot healthy. of sense, right? Um, a, a repeating, a repeating theme for us theme here for on this Happy Birthday, Who Cares? <laughs> Inappropriate age watching television, uh, watching horror movies and stuff. I 
only remember uh, the vomiting and the head turn. I don't remember the uh, crucifix masturbation or anything like that. And I remember the guy falling down the stairs. I wonder if you saw an edited for TV version. Maybe. That that would be... mm. I I think you would remember the masturbation otherwise. Mm. When's the last time you saw that movie? I have never seen it all the way through. Maybe we should watch it. I saw bits of it in an edited for TV version. And I think, I think it was probably around 12 at the time. And I think my dad was like, you can't watch this. You need to leave. It's a good move on your dad's part. Yeah. And honestly, I still to this day hate to see people vomit. So no thanks. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid in like the late seventies, there was this series called The Body Human. Hmm. And it was on network television and they would just show them every once in a while. And it was always things like, you know, how your skeleton fits together and how they do open heart surgery and, you know, the reproductive system and all kinds of things that I did not want to see as a six year old. Lots of real in depth. (laughs) I think my my parents thought it was like educational, which I'm sure it was, but it is. It's kind of like a weird, there's no reason why it should be gross. So, so to speak, which well, sounds like something a serial killer would say. What I'm going to stop negating my experience. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. I remember seeing the one where they did brain surgery way too early. Was like the person awake yes. while they were doing it? Yeah. Awake, sawing through the skull, Ugh. doing things to the brain, making the, the person, the patient react. That gave me bad dreams for many years. The I think I saw that show too. I, that sounds super familiar to me. The The thing that bothered me when I was a kid was they would show these surgeries and the tools that they use for surgeries, like the rotary saw and all that, they'd use like a hammer. They look like tools like you're in your house yeah. or in your workshop. I, I really wish that they would, you know. <laughs> Make them different yeah, somehow. Like, like there's a big tag on it that says for medical use only. Yeah, you something. would think it would be all delicate yeah. and ultra precise. But no, some of them are just oh, like, fucking jackhammers. No, here's a pair of needle nose pliers for removing your skull for pieces. For going up your nose. Yeah, it's like what you just went to the Home Depot and picked this up. You know, it's kind of gross. Um, Have you ever been in the hospital for any length of time? Not for any extended I've had s- small procedures and stuff, but not any... No, like big overnights? No. Uh, no. I had a hernia surgery. Yeah. Um, and uh, that wasn't the overnight, but it did. they did knock me out for it. I think that's probably the most involved thing I had. What's anesthesia like? Uh, it's like someone you've never been under? Mm-mm. No. It's like uh, they tell you. That they're going to put you under. And then all of a sudden you're under. And then you wake up after. Did it make you sick afterwards? Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, I, I was nauseous. That sounds like one of the unfortunate side effects. I was super hungry. And they were like, no, you can't. And I'm like, just give me some. And they were like, here's some ice chips for you to suck on. And I immediately vomited. Ugh, gross. And I didn't eat for like a day or whatever beforehand too. Yeah. So it was like, what's left? Yeah. Um, is this the grossest episode that I'm we've sorry. done so far? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, people. Um, I, the closest thing I ever had to a hospital experience, I mean, I've gone to the emergency room for a couple things, but I've never stayed over and I've never been put under. Yeah. 
Um, the closest thing I think is was my wind- wisdom tooth surgery. Just recently. Yeah, I finally had my wisdom teeth out and it sucked. I think that the, um, do you remember the actual wisdom teeth removal? A little bit of it. They gave me halcyon, uh, which I now call forget-me-nows. That's basically hypnol. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so I remember asking, I remember saying to the doctor, while you're in there, you should just take out the other side too. Otherwise it won't be balanced. <laughs> And he was like, oh, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> like, I'll just, I'll just spontaneously do more Yeah. while I'm here. You were fun to drive home that day. Did I say anything? You were giving me all sorts of weird advice. Like, like what? <laughs> don't forget to um, take out the garbage when we get home. And you were just like, not just whatever, like rambly. I was probably trying to act as normal as possible. <laughs> <laughs> thereby not acting yeah. normal at all. It's saying things that didn't really have any meaning whatsoever as we were driving back. It's kind of like when we were in the hotel. Uh-huh. We were in a hotel this last summer and... We went to Seattle. We went to Seattle and it was one of the hottest days of the year. Mm-hmm. And I took an Ambien mm-hmm. to go to sleep. And then we discovered the AC wasn't working. Yeah, the AC. Well, it had broke earlier in the day, too. and they We thought it had been it. fixed, yeah. And so <laughs> poor Randall was trying to wrangle yeah, they, me on Ambien, trying to get them to come up and fix us. No, worse than that, they couldn't fix it. And they were like, well, we'll just move you to another room. So I had to pack up our entire room full of stuff while you're just like plus me acting like a toddler yeah you're just like i want to roll in and do that <laughs> like what do you you just got i'm like i'm staying up for them to call and you're like i'm awake too <laughs> like no you're not go back to bed i'm helping <laughs> just go like i think i put you in the room and then went back and got everything after <laughs> i'm sorry that was pretty fun that was a good trip to seattle it was fun i had a good time uh, even even with that part, <laughs> even with that part, it's pretty fun if you're me. Yeah, uh, recommend Ambien. Ambien's great. Um, <laughs> Live your dreams. On <laughs> Once again, I think we come full circle. <laughs> Drugs are the best. <laughs> and on a, that note, that's a pretty excellent excellent way way to end it. I think. All right, people. Yeah, thanks for listening as always. Uh, and be good. Sure be good if it's appropriate do drugs if it if they work for you and uh thanks for listening we love you bye bye uh thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast tell a friend please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you want to reach out to us on social media we are at hbwc podcast on twitter and instagram or happy birthday who cares at gmail.com. <laughs>